and welcome back to another episode of Mind Your P's, the podcast where we chat to business leaders about all the P's, people, purpose, planet, philanthropy. If you're a new listener, then welcome to the show. We've got another great guest today. Gavin Oates is the Managing Director of Tree of Knowledge and is a brilliant keynote speaker. Gavin started his career in both comedy and teaching, and he uses that same energy to deliver his talks to businesses and young people all over Scotland. So let's jump right in. Gavin Oates, it's absolutely brilliant to see you. When's the last time we met? Uh, well, firstly, it's wonderful to see you too. It has it's been a wee while. Um, do you know, I've, I'm literally, I've just been sitting for the last couple of minutes trying to remember the last time I saw you. And I know it was at an event. I honestly couldn't even tell you what it was. I think it was in Aberdeen. I think it was that Aberdeen business event that I was on the panel and you were you were hosting. Oh, sure it was that one. Was it the Ducaru event? Was it that one? No? Do you know, honestly, that's terrible. I, I, there's so many things have happened in the last couple of years. My brain, uh, I can only remember back to the first lockdown at the moment. <laughs> it's been so many things going on and I've had to think about and do, but uh, but listen, it's great to be on. So uh, I appreciate you, you asking me. It's brilliant. It's brilliant to have you. Well, let, let, let's just start with that then. How has the last two years been in, in uh, knowledge and you've done? Oh, let's go with the word wow. Um, do you know what? It, it's it's been an unbelievable journey, roller coaster, adventure. I mean, we. I think if you were to draw a graph, and you know, down the left hand side, it said uh, emotional emotions, and along the bottom, it said March twenty to March. Let's go with March twenty two, and we were to plot my emotional journey. I think. It would be the greatest roller coaster you've ever seen. We could sell it to Disney for millions. Um, it, you know, I go back to that first lockdown. Um, I lost, I mean, my whole business relies on big rooms full of people, or it did. It did at the time, whether that's businesses, whether it's schools, colleges, unis, conferences. And we lost 150 events in about 72 hours. And there was a genuine moment, Caroline, of sitting there in tears unable to sleep for nights, pacing through the night, sitting for hours on end with a blank notepad, trying to think about a way to get through this. And of course, the early, early days of this, nobody really knew what was happening, um, what the answers were. There were no answers to any questions. Nobody knew about business support yet. Furlough wasn't even a thing. Literally, there was no answers for anything. And if, at that time, my team were asking me all the questions under the sun, and I was trying very, very hard to keep minds at rest and be positive and upbeat and do fun things online for everybody and keep the communication going. And all I kept being told is, oh, you'll have to pivot. There was the word. Uh, I think I pirouetted. That's a completely different series of moves that I wasn't expecting. But we very quickly moved. We had a few days of feeling sorry for ourselves, panicking, worrying. Um, my wife is a deputy head teacher of a giant high school. She was all of a sudden at home, helping to run a high school from home. My kids were now at home. Uh, and I just thought, right, there's an opportunity here to rethink, reimagine, uh, get brave, you know, be really courageous and take some huge risks. Because right now, everything's on the table. Everything. And we... Um, we really did pirouette and we uh, we learned everything we possibly could about, you know, rearranging a business and flipping things online. And we created a wonderful health and wellbeing platform for, for young people and for parents and for teachers. We had over 400 schools signed up. And I just remember thinking, why did we not do this 10 years ago? Um, the working from home thing for me became an absolute pleasure. And I really mean that, an absolute joy. And I love it. And I never want to leave my house again. <laughs> that bit's not true. That, that bit's not true. That is not. I was about to say that is definitely not true. From from what I know and I've seen of you, Gavin, you just the energy that you bring. But I I can actually you know visualise you pacing up and down the floor. And and I suppose in some ways we've never moved as fast as we did during that period in terms of changing business models. Yeah. But but how do you manage your fear? Because it was a fearful time. <sighs> I, I think it went beyond just normal fear for me at times. So one of the things I, I talk about quite a lot and write about in my books, I have 
I I have a, a huge amount of anxiety um, all the time. Um, I have struggled with anxiety since I was about five years old, and there are times where it it causes actually huge huge problems uh, for me. And for for many years, I was very good at never talking about it and hiding it and just performing my way through life and not telling the truth uh, about these things. So when this when when COVID came around and lockdowns came around. The fear for me was was beyond real. Uh, I mean, when I said earlier that I wasn't sleeping particularly well, I mean, I really wasn't sleeping, and um, you know that that pacing up and down was was driving me up the wall. Um, how do I manage it? Um, so one of the biggest things for me has been ugh, such a obvious answer for so many people, maybe not, is is exercise, is running. Um, I have, over the last few years, discovered that running helps me to manage my fear, my anxiety better than almost anything else I've ever tried in my life. I'm a big fan of things like mindfulness and all this sort of stuff. But actually, um, you know, having a clear plan for my day, you know, making sure that my day is mapped out properly, but that there is space in that day to stop, to just be, and to go running uh, has been an absolute uh, an absolute game changer for me. Um, you know, a twenty to thirty minute run outside in the fresh air, preferably in the rain. Uh, it's amazing how that gives that fear a bit of a a reset in 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 that moment. And I'm left at the end of that run knackered and looking horrendous, but ready to take on the world with whatever it's going to throw at me in that moment so yeah it's maybe that's maybe a really obvious answer you but genuinely exercise is the one thing that has really helped me to manage the the fear and anxiety yeah and so you know that i mean that's brilliant I, I i go walking a lot and do exactly the same i don't run and i don't go to the gym in fact i do laugh about this quite a lot so obviously we, we we're, we're encouraging people to volunteer and you can do it in 10 minutes and you know, and I talk about it being as a, the, the buzz you get after you come out of the gym and then I have to caveat that with, I don't actually go to the gym. <laughs> I imagine it would be the same feeling. So so I do understand that need. Almost almost that running, I suppose, it's getting you out of your own head, right? It is. Um, my, my head is a busy place to be and it's not always a... a a particularly enjoyable place to be if pressure's on and and so on so you know it's it's the physicality of the running but i I have to run with music as well and music plays a big part in my working day and i quite like being stuck in traffic before arriving at an event um anything up to about 40 minutes because that was how long all the best albums in the 90s lasted uh and i like to get a wee extra album from the 90s in there before i get to my event and get on stage so the the running and the music and it's funny you know just just the other day there so I, i had a neck injury recently and i wasn't actually able to run for seven months and it I really noticed the impact that it was having. But I'm back running now. And the other day there, my headphones cut out. And Caroline, I could hear myself. <laughs> and um, I had a real wake-up call of, oh my God, this is what people hear as I run past them. Because my music's normally really loud. And I know I look a mess when I'm running. But my goodness me, I've discovered that I sound absolutely horrendous. So uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a pretty picture. But the running and the music combined for me talk about getting out of your head uh, and into a much uh, a much more energized place that that does it for me so what song <gasps> what song i see i thought you were gonna say what album and that's tough but what song is even tougher um this morning i was listening to i did a 5k at six o'clock this morning and i was listening to kiss uh, as in glam rock Kiss with the black and white makeup and I was listening to Kiss live backed by a hundred piece Melbourne Symphony Orchestra <laughs> so full on high energy fist in the air sing along anthemic rock but backed by a hundred piece orchestra and I'm telling you I floated those five kilometres and um <laughs> Yeah, it was honestly. There's, there's, there's not many better bands, and I think a lot of people think about Kiss as being some weird death metal band. They're not at all. It's disco rock. It's pure disco glam rock that was in the charts back in the day. Yeah, so that was that was this morning. So no, maybe not one particular song, but uh, I listened to a lot of glam. 
Love that. Well, my, my husband's training for a three peaks and 24 hour challenge oh, for charity. So bonkers. He's dragging us up hills every Sunday, right? Which is not, which is like a new thing for us. There's the whole family get to go up a new hill every Sunday. Yay. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I, I was struggling, really struggling with this, with this hill. And, you know, Colin's at the top going, come on, you can do it. Yeah. And I had on Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself. That was what tune. I had on in my. Such a tune. Uh, years and I was like right I can do it so I totally get, get that I've, I've rediscovered sorry just quickly I've rediscovered Green Day recently uh, and just that album Dookie from the 90s which was a favourite of mine as a teenager but I've got right back into that and yeah so anyway love it love it Gavin, I, I've seen you speak, and, I, and you know, I'll, I'll say this again, but you speak with passion, energy, enthusiasm. How, how does that manifest itself when you're having an anxious day? Um, I, there is, at times, there is no happier place for me than on stage. Um, my anxiety disappears when I'm in front of uh, a live audience. Now, it, it happens virtual as well, I've discovered. I didn't think I would enjoy presenting online, but of course I had no choice. And I, it turns out I really enjoy it and, and it works. Um, there are moments where, like I say, there is no happier place for me. That hour before going on stage, horrendous, awful. I pace, I feel sick, worried, anxious. I can't, I can't help but think I could have a normal job. Why am, I, why am I putting myself through this? But see, when I get on that stage, it all just goes away. When I get that first laugh, oh, I, I mean, I'm just in my element. I think it's the, how would I describe it? The, oh, like the immediacy of, of being live in front of an audience. You, you, you have to be so in the moment because you have to remember what you're saying. And I don't use any slides or anything like that. So you have to remember what you're saying. You need to know your stuff, but you also need to be aware of your audience and be quick to interact with, with, with your people in that moment. When I come off stage, um, I, I, I quite like to leave quickly. Um, you know, I'm speaking at an event in London tomorrow. I'm, fl I'm going down this afternoon and um, I'm, I'm on for an hour. And I know that when that hour's finished, um, they've got some, they've got a break and they want me to speak to some of the, the their teams. I struggle with that in that moment. Um, I, I feel my my anxiety rising uh, in those little one-to-one -one kind of conversations. I, I do enjoy it in some way. Um, I've learned to kind of embrace my anxiety and I think it, I think my anxiety plays a part in that energy and enthusiasm and passion that you mentioned that, that comes out on stage. Um, but I have to, I have to be almost mindful of my anxiety on an anxious day. I have to allow it in. I think if you fight it, it makes it worse. And this, just, I mean, I'm I'm about to turn forty three, and I think it's taken me at least at least the last twenty years of doing what I now do to learn that it's okay to have anxiety. It's okay to be. I mean, we all have anxiety. We need it, or we wouldn't be able to survive and live. But some of us just happen to have it on that next level, that high level that kind of eats up your day sometimes. So there are days, Caroline, where um, I just want to switch off and eat ice cream and uh, not talk to anybody. But there's a line I once heard someone say, you know, you, you let it in, show it around, but make sure you show it the door. Um, and every now and then I can't find the door um, and, it, and it can be tough, but I'm much better now at uh, finding the door. If I can't find the door, I'll find a window and shove it out there. So um, it can manifest itself in all sorts of ways, frustration, tiredness, um, a lack of creativity. But at the same time, I think there are ways to use it and channel it. And again, I'm getting better at that. And that then results in, to repeat myself, that passion, enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. You know, I can't sit still. Uh, I can't focus for very long. Um, on a good day, I can't focus for very long or sit still. Again, I think being a speaker is good for me because, again, you you you're on the move. You know, if you give me a job that involves sitting at a desk for seven or eight hours, sorry, you're going to sack me pretty quick. Um, you're not going to want me there. So, yeah, it manifests itself in lots of different ways. More often than not, very excited, creative, but all over the shop. <laughs> 
Love that. And you talked about that, um, I suppose that audience reaction, the immediacy that, that you get from the first laugh. Um, and, and I was doing some research on you and you talked about your comedy career and selling out on your show at the Fringe. Yeah. T- tell us a bit about that because the, the, the piece I read was that it took you 10 years to come to come to terms with the fact that it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, so so I was obsessed with comedy as a kid. Now I, I was at, well, I was a teenager in the nineties. So the nineties was the the Britpop era, where all of my friends wanted to be in Oasis or Blur or Pulp or whoever, and they were all learning to play guitar. Whereas I was obsessed with Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, I could not get enough of Vic and Bob. And there was other shows on at the time, like the Fast Show and this sort of real. Um, th- there was this influx of sketch comedy and I I became hugely fascinated by it and the fact that these people could put on silly wigs and beards and dresses and whatever and play all these different characters and and I quite liked the appeal of being able to hide behind a character um, and create an imaginary world and then go on stage and that's your job people pay you to do that so when I left school I went off to train as a primary school teacher originally but all through uni I started doing open nights um, stand up open nights uh you would get your open spot and there was nights like there's a night that runs at the stand still to this day called red raw and you get like 10 people performing for the first time ever and it's awful well it can be amazing but when you're on stage it's awful and um and i think um i believed from the age of about 15 that that my future was in stand-up that was that was how it was going to be i was going to have a tv show like vic and bob we were going to make movies and i was going to travel the world and very quickly it kind of started happening uh, at quite a young age you know 18 years of age um we were we were gigging all over the country i say we <clears throat> i was one half of a double act at the time um and it was going really really well and then i finished my teaching degree and we got whipped away to the Melbourne Comedy Festival in Australia and we sold out for a month in Melbourne and won awards and and then it all fell apart um, very quickly. I went back into teaching and then I got a second run at it uh, with another show uh, called The Colour Ham um, with a couple of friends of mine, one of whom is a, a very, very famous uh, mentalist and one who's a very uh, highly regarded magician. And we absolutely smashed up the Edinburgh Festival for about four four or five years in a row. We won one of the big awards at the Fringe um, in our, our last year together there. And all of a sudden, we had the BBC sniffing around. We were getting more bookings in London. And it was all getting very, very exciting. But families were arriving. Uh, businesses were growing. Solo careers were taking off. And what was three best friends just going for it with not a care in the world slowly but surely was becoming three distant acquaintances vying for the center spot on the poster and things changed um the struggle to make it uh whatever that means um it'll mean something different to everyone unfortunately got in the way again as it did the first time around with my double act um, and we, we had to call it a day because I think if we didn't, we were probably going to start hating each other. And it was in that moment that I started to realize that I'd spent years and years and years trying to make it. And the pressure, of course, in that world to make it is to be famous, to make lots of money, to be on television. Um, and I found myself um, quite down for a while because it was it was over. The dream was over. I had to really push myself to find those silver linings and realize that we totally made it. We totally traveled the world. We met the best people. We laughed all day, every day. We got to create the most bonkers characters, the most bonkers scenarios. We came up with extraordinary routines that blew people's minds and made them laugh. And and on stage with my best friends, I couldn't have been happier. Um, So now I look back on it and think that was amazing and we totally made it did i make my millions did i get the tv show not i cared at the time do i care now not in the slightest because we've got the most wonderful memories to look back on that's that's just such a brilliant attitude though it's you know because it's really hard to get to that stage um it is said obviously you were down for a while but and it does but it does come doesn't it it does that it does absolutely does come it absolutely does and i think you have to 
you have to let you have to let it come as well you know it's uh, again it's a bit like my you know when we're talking about anxiety like if, if you want to fight it you can if if i want to wallow in what didn't work 10 years ago 20 years ago well i can i can i can i can mope about all day and go oh, yeah it never worked out you know we we didn't crack the big leagues you know and i uh, know we had we had the most remarkable experiences firstly with one of my best friends from childhood and then secondly with two of my best friends from from my adult life um and it was just uh, it was just the best times it really was there is for me apart from my family of course there is no better feeling than being on a stage with people who are just crying with laughter it's something that you pulled out of your brain one day in a moment i love it and i and i suppose it's like that that kind of it's only when you get to your 40s really i think yeah, it is. That you actually understand that all of that, I mean, you're using some of that now. You use it in your books, you use it in your in your talks. And and you know, you talk about making it. So so what what does success mean to you? Uh contentment, fulfillment. Um I think you know, you look at the world we live in now. And it's not, I was about to mention things like social media. It's not just teenagers either. It's, it's that, that sort of comparisonitis that's out there, that, the age of envy. You know, there's so many people like, oh, I want that. And oh, look at that big shiny prize. And oh, look what they've got. I don't have that in my, I, I think if we could shift the mindset away from what we want or what we think we need in life to actually being, you know, if the goal for people was to be content, you know, to feel fulfilled, I think that changes everything. And that, I mean, that has taken years. And by the way, I don't think I'm fully there, Caroline. I, I don't. I think I'm better. And and you mentioned being, in, you know, takes to your 40s. You're absolutely right. It is just this last two or three years for me that I'm like, and actually COVID, like those lockdowns, the time with my family. Do you know the highlight for me has been walking my daughter to school? That's that's my favourite thing. And she's, she goes into primary seven after summer and she's asked if she can now walk to school on her own. I'm heartbroken. I'm absolutely devastated that, that she wants to do that on her own. But anyway, I think this last two years has really, like, it was kind of forced upon us. You know, that change, whether you wanted it or not, the world delivered as a slowdown. It delivered as a an opportunity to, I've already used the phrase silver linings, to, to, to pull them from this moment. And it forced a rethink, a reimagining, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. And for me, it it really, it really has reminded me that, you know, I need to be grateful. Uh, I need to, to, to show that gratitude for what I do have in my life and who I do have in my life rather than, oh, I'd quite like a bit of what they've got or, you know, why, you know, even the business stuff, you know, of course you're going to have crap months and good months and everything else, but, you know, I need to, I need to remind myself every single day that um, actually things are all right. Yeah, it's really it's really refreshing, and um, it's it's so interesting. So I tend to ask this question quite a lot when I speak to people about success, and um, it's definitely changed. People's responses have definitely changed in over the over the years. And I yeah. think what you've described. So my daughter's going into primary seven this year, and she started walking to school on her own. We said she could do it a couple of months before she actually yeah. leaves, and we've got this location app now, like Psycho Mum and stuff. Yeah, like where is she? Why is she stopped? Why is she not moving? You know, it's like. 10 minutes walk or something so i totally understand all of that and so let, let's just talk about business then so so tree of knowledge um you run tree of knowledge right i do i do um and you run your own so you and you also do speaking part of tree of tree of knowledge or is that part of your own brand so the speaking all goes through tree of knowledge um so i you're, you're right though so there is there is my personal brand if you like um but actually everything runs through tree of knowledge the one bit that is separate now is my books um so i was i was very lucky to get the chance to co-author a book about four years ago with dr andy cope who is the uk's first and only doctor of happiness that's a thing he's amazing i he was a total hero of mine i just stalked him until he said yes um uh, that came out wrong um but um we wrote a book together called shine and i decided at that point i would keep that separate now of course it positively impacts on tree of knowledge and tree of knowledge positive impacts on book sales and and things like that but um i'm now 
I've now got six books, including ones for the kids, um, and they are very much kept uh, kept separate. Uh, they help each other and support each other, but yeah, they're separate. Yeah, and and so I bought Shine when it first came out, and I was like, Doctor of Happiness. What a cool job title. You, know, you see all these mad and wacky job titles, don't you? And it was only when I read it, really. Um, and I think that Life Will See You Now um, yep. was really interesting for me because it's about living life to the best and and not being afraid of who you are as an individual and I suppose that vulnerability that you, you've touched on. Well, that was the first time I'd ever put my... That was the first time I'd ever put anything down about my my own mental health. Um, I'd never spoken about it, never written about it. And chapter six in Life uh, Life Will See Now is called Confidently Lost, which very much sums me up in many ways. Um, and I was about to delete the entire chapter from the book because I was so concerned about people's response. And the publisher actually said, I think you should, I think you should leave it in. I think you should leave it. I think people need to know and you'll help people. And... Um, and I remember at the time the 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 lady that does the uh, the PR um, for the books, um, she said, "Are you ready to talk about this?" And I was like, "Not really." And she said, "Well, you've got you've got six months, so get ready." Um, and actually, it's it's been amazing. So uh, yeah, but the book the books have been an absolute joy. That's a a revelation for me. I've always been writing with the stand up, and even as a primary school teacher, you're always writing lessons and coming up with fun ideas for the kids. Um, but uh, yeah, getting up every morning and doing a couple hours writing, I can't sit for any longer than that. So uh, six o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning, it's the only time I seem to be able to write. <laughs> yeah, so I do it. You're freshest. And so you, you said you've got a couple of books coming out for young people. Uh, well, they're out. So um, I have, so there's two books for kids age seven to 11. Uh, there is Diary of a Brilliant Kid, Top Secret Guide to Awesomeness. Uh, and that actually came out about uh, two or three years ago. Um, and then just this year, Brill Kid 2, or Brill Kid the Big Number 2, as we called it, um, came out this year. Uh, and also sort of, sort of that sort of 7 to 11 age, age group. Um, and then just a few weeks ago, uh, my latest book is A Head Full of Everything. Uh, and the subtitle for that is Inspiration for Teenagers with the World on Their Mind. So it's kind of the teenage version of Life Will See You Now. Um, there's a lot of new stuff in there. There's a couple of similar stories from Life Will See You Now, but kind of, I don't know what the word is, teenagered, if you like. Um, and it's been quite interesting putting the book out for teens. It's specifically sort of 14 to 17, 18. Um, you know, with writing that during lockdowns and, and talking to, to teenagers through the work we do at Tree Knowledge and what's going on in their heads at the moment and the pressures that they're feeling and the isolation and the loneliness and the impact of social media and really interesting writing a book for teenagers because you've, you've got to get that balance between not being old man trying to tell them how to live their life but also not saying social media is amazing, use it all the time. You know, somewhere in the middle, because they're not going to stop doing that, and they enjoy it and all sorts. So yeah, head full of everything's the most recent one for for fourteen to seventeen year olds. Fantastic! So I was I was going to speak about that. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of started following you, Gavin, when you did the first big school. I think it was in the SS. It was in the SECC in Glasgow when you did the first. You got all the schools together. The uh, Fire Up Scotland. Yeah, Fire Up Scotland, that's right. Yeah, so that was my... Um, Fire Up Scotland was the first project I ever took on purely on my own, separate to the business. Um, it's the only thing, apart from the books, that I've ever done uh, separate to Tree of Knowledge. Again, Tree of Knowledge plays a part in all of that and vice versa. Fire Up Scotland was... The goal there was to put on the biggest event of inspiration for teenagers has ever been. In Scotland, and I remember. So the the wonderful team that run the SEC and the Hydro are clients of ours. We do lots of amazing projects with them, and I was joking about with Gail, that's one of the exec directors there, about um, wouldn't it be amazing to put on this huge big event one day? And she's like, "Well, why why don't we do it here?" And of course, my initial thought was the Hydro, like if you're going to go big. Go big. And the Hydro's 12,000. 
I never spoke to after that was like, oh, are you thinking like maybe three or four hundred? And I was like, no, I'm thinking like maybe like over 10,000. And they're like, no, nah, you're mad. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. But the team at the SEC, at that campus, at the Hydro, were just like, we can, we can do this. We can do something huge. And um, it was incredibly stressful. Um, unfortunately, that's it was during the organizing of that that my brain broke in 2018. Um, didn't tell anyone, of course, just kept going. Uh, again, chapter six and life will see you now. It's all in there. Um, but I think once you book the venue, like it's happening, it's on. As soon as you put something public that you're doing this, well, you're going to have to do it, Gavin. And off we went on this incredible journey of connecting with all the schools around Scotland and 155 schools signed up immediately. And we had to close the website in 24 hours because so many people wanted to come and we, okay, the tickets were free, but we, we sold out the hydro. We, we, we shifted every ticket in under 24 hours and pulled together one of the best lineups of speakers we possibly could. Um, you know, we did it on an absolute shoestring budget. Some very kind people gave me some money because I can't, I can't afford to book the hydro. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was over 300 buses turned up on the day. They had to they had to change the traffic light sequences in Glasgow that morning to allow for this convoy of teenagers. It was amazing. Um, and it was just one of the best days, one of the best days ever. It was just mind-blowing walking out in the hydro in front of... We ended up with... it was it, There was quite a few schools on the day didn't show up, which broke my heart. I'm not... I'll be very honest. That broke my heart that morning because we had schools right up to the last minute saying, can we come, can we come, can we? And we had this huge waiting list and there was a handful of schools just didn't show up. So there was a few gaps that just drove me mental on the day. Again, just how my brain works. Um, but we had about 10,000 teenagers in the room. And if you'd said to anybody, you're going to get 10,000, you'd be like, I'll take it. If somebody said you'll get 5,000, I would take it. Uh, so yeah, an amazing day. Amazing. And I saw that you're, you're doing top big school. So Big School, uh, the full title is We're After the Big School. Uh, now, We're After the Big School is a virtual event this time, um, and it's for primary sevens. So We're After the Big School is basically a 90-minute, high-energy, in-your-face transition event from primary to secondary. Um, it's on the 22nd of June, Wednesday afternoon, we have currently, with a month still to go, 719 schools signed up, which at the point of sign up, we ask for a rough estimate of how many kids you have in your class. Um, so currently we have over 21,000 primary sevens will be participating. Um, now, even amongst that, we've got some schools saying, oh, I'm signing up on behalf of three primary seven classes or two. So so we don't actually know what the real figure is going to be, but we've still got a month to go. Education Scotland have very kindly come on board as a partner. So as of yesterday, uh, the 25th, uh, all of a sudden the messaging's just gone like that. So um, I'm hosting. Uh, there's three other members of the Tree Knowledge team are, are playing a part. We've got a couple of cool guests. We are having the biggest primary seven quiz there's ever been. This wonderful piece of software called Vivox that allows us to have this massive quiz. So all these primary sevens will be competing against each other. Um, got some lovely wee segments planned. We were we were trying to think of that sort of... Um, we want to incorporate all the lovely, important messages because they've had a crazy time, primary sevens. But at the same time... Saturday morning kids TV vibe. That's what we're going for. So, so yeah, really excited about that and looking forward to seeing how many schools actually end up joining us on the day because, I mean, there's 2000 and, 2004, 2001 primary schools in Scotland. I'd love to hit the 1,000. That would be unreal. Like at the time when we were putting this together, we said let's aim for 100 schools. So it's gone, it's gone bonkers again. So uh, can't wait, can't wait. Well, I wish you every success with that, Gavin, because it's just, I mean, it's just really inspiring. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking, there's there's you just saying, like, you know, here's my big, hairy, audacious goal. I just want, like, 12,000, 10,000 kids <laughs> fire up Scotland. I don't have a freaking clue how I'm going to do it, but, you know, that doesn't matter. It's just about making it happen. And I think... 
that's a lot of how people start in business, right? Where you just take that risk and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but you learn and you... Absolutely. It's so true. I mean, we... So I actually led a management buyout in Tree of Knowledge uh, about 14 years ago now. Um, So I joined this business as an employee um, under the previous ownership. And then we got the opportunity to lead a buyout. And it was exactly what you've just said. It was that moment of, I don't know how to run a business. I don't have any money. How how do you buy a how do you buy a business? The previous owner was ready to move on. We were ready to move on. And and it was just that there was also a year of the recession. Um so it was late. Uh it was the end of 08 that we started the process and the buyout went through first of March 09. So of course it was full recession time at that moment and everybody was saying nah should be doing this big mistake except for one person I remember saying to me if you can make this work now you'll still be here in 20 years I uh, sorry no you'll still be here in 10 years is what they said and we're now in year 14 so it was very much a no idea what we're doing but we really really cared and I think to go back to what you said about me on stage that passion like, I really, really care about making a difference. And I don't care if it's cheesy and corny. And obviously, with what you do, Caroline, I mean, it's all about making a difference. It's about helping people to help themselves to create this positive future, not just for them, but for Scotland as well, the world. And I've got this real belief that it's not about trying to be the best in business or in the team or in Scotland. It's it's for the team, for the business, for Scotland. And, that you know, it's why we run Tree of Knowledge, it's why I write my books, it's why it's why I did stand-up. I just wanted to go out and make people laugh and have a great night out. And it's why we did Fire Up Scotland. And I would love to do Fire Up Scotland again because uh, we learned <laughs> so many mistakes. And, I, you know, not that anybody really knew. Uh, I knew, um, hence all the stress and pressure. But um, I just, I just want to get out of my bed every day and know that I'm doing my bit. And right now, the world needs more people to be getting out of their bed and doing their bit. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly what we talk about is that, you know, doing something for someone, expecting nothing in return. And, yeah. And what does that lead to? And it leads to amazing things and, and not not just for the people that you help, but for you. And I think that's really important. It's, you know, it's, it's absolutely about that. And so it feels to me like, you've got your purpose nailed and you didn't always have it because it was in the comedy area but it's almost like all paths lead to that that's kind of the way that i yeah i'm hearing your story yeah i think so and i've mentioned the primary school teaching earlier as well i think so my mum my mum was a pe teacher and she she worked in a a big school in air when i was a kid um it was a kid for uh sorry a school for kids with additional needs and she was always roping my brother and I in to help with um, swimming galas and gymnastics competitions and helping these young people. And she would force us, force us, no, no, she did. She forced us to run like fun runs. Uh, I remember running the Colleen Castle fun run um, with her pupils when I was like 15 or something. And I, that, that definitely helped to shape who I am, you know, helping these young kids. And and originally I wanted to do PE, um, but then I switched to, to primary. You know, and every day my job is to, it, well, I'm out of the classroom for a long time, albeit we still do a lot of work in schools, but as a primary school teacher, my job was to turn up, like to turn up for these young people. It doesn't matter if I've had a bad night the night before or tired or whatever, or I'm not feeling great. My job was to turn up and give them an experience from the minute they set foot in my class to the minute they walked out the door that made them want to come back, you know, the next day and just eat life, you know, and, and absorb it. Um, and then when I started doing the stand-up in uni, having never been on stage in my life, I might add, all of a sudden my days were filled with being up in front of a young audience during the day and then being up in front of an adult audience at night. And I just started to realize that they're kind of the same and that you need to entertain, you need to enlighten, you need to educate, you need to lift, you need to inspire, but you also need to push buttons, ruffle feathers and challenge in the right way, not for the sake of it, not to offend people. Um, I just had to guide it differently for weak people and guide it differently for older people. Um, And I think, I think my purpose was probably shaping a lot earlier than than I than I knew. I probably 
hadn't even ever talked about purpose or knew what that really meant at that age. But I think um, stand-up and teaching have brought me to to now doing what I do and getting to work with some extraordinary organisations and some amazing people along the way. Yeah, and, you know, I think that we well, this podcast called Mind Your Peace because we talk a lot about purpose and people and I suppose what you and I are describing as patience because you don't, you, you, you know, you kind of want it all to happen really quickly when you're in your oh, 20s and yeah. 30s and the reality is that sometimes it's, it's just never going to be that way and it's going to be actually when you hit 40 that you realise what's important. And, and thinking about your people in Tree of Knowledge then, so, so you deliver these um, really uplifting, supportive, um, you know, sessions to adults and young people what about your your staff how many is in the team how do you how do you how do you look after them how do you make sure they feel safe and included and supported well there's currently there's currently eight of us um there has been 24 of us though uh, at one time um now that's gone back a few years um it's interesting when you get to that size like i Things change a lot when you get to that size. You're not just a close group of friends changing the world and inspiring the world anymore. You're you've got policies, <laughs> you know, and all this kind of stuff. And you felt I had to really grow up in that moment. But um again, I think this last two years has helped re rejig things, refocus things a little bit. But we are we have a wonderful team. First and foremost, we, we have an extraordinary group of people who were so on the same page. We just want to go out and inspire the world. You know, every one of us, we want to go out, we want to inspire the world and help people in, in every way we possibly can. Um, how do we look after them? We, we, firstly, we, we, we really hear what they're telling us. Um, we, we make a real conscious effort to really listen, to really hear their feedback um, about us as as colleagues, as teammates, as, as an employer, as a friend, I hope. Um, I think we've got better at just really noticing and being aware of when people are maybe tired. You know, if you go back to pre, the pre-COVID days, there was a lot of traveling involved. Uh, for everybody, didn't matter what your role was in trianology, we're on the road. Now, being on the road can be really exciting, but it is exhausting. And we were very much, there was a time where we were very much, uh, you know, we were driven by sales. As uh, You know, you, ha you have to be to some extent, but at the same time, it was, you know, we we're very conscious of not putting pounds over people. Uh, it's easy to fall into that. And I think that's, me just being honest, it's very easy to to get caught up in the 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 turnover and all these kind of things and, and the profits and whatnot. But we are ultimately a small business who are not doing this to become millionaires. You know, we're doing this to help people. So that shapes our behaviors, it shapes our values. We regularly talk about our values. We make time in the diary multiple times throughout the year where you can't sell anything or anyone out on that day. We are going to be in a room together. We're going to break apart our vision and our values. We're going to talk about the behaviours. What do we expect from each other? We're going to hold each other accountable to that. Um, and having those conversations regularly, normalising those conversations, normalising that openness and that honesty in our conversations and in our, our listening um, leads to a, a happier group of people uh, who are, I think over the years, we've become better friends. We don't necessarily hang out. You know, a lot of us, we don't necessarily socialise in the traditional sense. But I know I can pick the phone up to anyone and vice versa and, and, and be there for each other when, when we need to be. We try and, we, of course, we try and reward people well. We want to pay people well. Um, you know, we, we, we used to do, there's, there's wee things like you're not allowed to work your birthday you know, and if your birthday's a Saturday, will you take the Friday? If it's a Sunday, you can take the Friday or the Monday or whatever. And, you know, you every Christmas we take everyone away for a couple of nights and do something amazing. And I'll cook everyone Christmas dinner and things like that. And, you know, we just try and do wee things that that contribute to that sense of value and inclusion. And, you know, I want people to, to wake up every day and, and truly believe that, they're doing something meaningful and that they love being a part of the, the Tree of Knowledge brand. I think it's really important, but they're wonderful, all of them, even though I do say so myself. 
that, that, I mean, like that, that's just, yeah, there's some, we, we do the same with birthdays and I love the Christmas idea actually, although I'm not a very good cook, so I'm not sure they'd want to. Christmas dinner. <laughs> uh, but you know, it is, it is just that scent. And, and, and I suppose, you know, what, what I'm hearing you say is that your people are, are gathered around the purpose. Um, and the other P that's really important is, is the profits or the turnover, because you can't deliver on that purpose unless you've got the money to sustain yeah. um, people's salaries and so on. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a dirty word and we <laughs> no. talk a lot about purpose, you know, people, profit, philanthropy, all, all the, Seckle pizza, all, all the keys really, but you know, the profits are really important so you can achieve yeah. your, your mission really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is something that we were probably afraid to speak about um, in the past, but actually we, we're quite open and transparent with the team now. You know, we, we when we have one of our team days, we, we, we look at the accounts, we, we, we talk about it, you know, here's here's where we're at. I think we've shifted our focus. I think, I think years ago when we were in it, <laughs> I still consider myself inexperienced in business, but um, when we were really inexperienced, I think we focused too much on on the turnover. It was just like the big figure, you know, like, oh, we need to hit this amount. And rather than maybe, maybe taking on a slightly sort of leaner working model, but having more profits. And that's where we are now. You know, we are... We are Whilst, whilst we're not a massive company turning over crazy sums of money, we're more profitable now. Than we used to be. We have less people. Um, we're on the road less. But again, that again, I guess that comes with time and and experience and learning. Just constantly making those wee tweaks to your business as you go, and a lot of those tweaks sometimes are wrong. And you've got to hold your hands up, and sometimes you have to backtrack and and start again in some ways. Um, but yeah, a lot uh, a lot more confident and at peace with talking about profits now and, and the importance of those profits. I remember years ago doing a, a wee bit of Disney training. And the first question was, why does why did Disney exist? And everyone's oh, to create magic. And, some, and the answer was to make money. Uh, and it broke my heart a little bit, shattered my dreams. But actually, well, they need to. They absolutely need to. And, and you know, the the profit thing, I think someone said to me the other day, profit is sanity and turnovers insanity or something like that. Uh, you know, and, and absolutely trying to get more profit is, of course, what it's all about. It's not yeah. about yeah, increasing turnover for turnover's sake. Yeah, absolutely. We we definitely fell into that trap for a couple of years, but we were kind of blinded by it in some way. But no, we're, we, we pulled ourselves out of that one. What's next for you, Gavin Oates? Because all I see is, you know, like just, I suppose just new ideas. Um, the reason that, well, one of the reasons you're here today is that my colleague who heads up our customer success team, Fiona, just said, ah, oh, I just love Gavin, his energy. And she's a real energetic parent. And she just, you know, I just love his energy. Um, and I really want to hear the real story behind it, and I think we've, we've got to some of that today, which is which is just brilliant for people to hear. And and you know, more of that is what I would say. More of that place to being vulnerable and open and showing people that this this stuff's not easy. And even even you know, having such a wonderful purpose and business and what you do, you've still got to do all the other stuff that you don't really want to do and, and make sure that it's it's sustainable and so on. But what what's next for you? What's coming up? So I think with having just put out another book, I think I'm going to take a wee break from, from the writing side of things. I mean, six books in four years is too many books. Um, uh, overkill and all that. But um, I, I think what's next is the continuation of the journey from the COVID experience for us as a as a business. Um, we are, you know, we went into survival mode, then we went into what we were calling our recovery mode, and we're very much out of that, very much out of that. And I think what's next for me, Caroline, is to is to enjoy where I am at in life. Um, I've not been very good at that at times. Uh, in fact, I was never, I never used to be good at that. It was always, what's next? What's next? What's next? And and just as you achieve something or do something that you're enjoying, it's like, oh, shinier, bigger, better over there. And oh, a, a squirrel, you know? And But that is me. I, I mentioned earlier, I can't sit still. I can't, it drives my, my wife absolutely mad because you talked about patience. There is an argument that I have none. <laughs> uh, it has been said by some people that I have no patience at all. Um, 
I I am on a big journey on a personal level since I wrote Life Will See You Now. Putting out a book that shares what that book shares has set me on a slightly different course um, where I'm now being asked to contribute to things around mental health and anxiety and stress and all these kind of things. You know, you've used the word vulnerability a few times. Um, I'm quite taken aback at the amount of people who keep saying to me, oh, it's great to see that vulnerability. And I'm like, okay, but I'm getting it now. Like I'm starting to understand why people are saying that. Um, So for me, um, the, the what's next is to just now, with what we've been through the last two years to where we are now, like we're in a better place than we were before COVID um, because we were forced to make big changes. We were forced to look at ourselves in a mirror. And what we maybe thought was amazing, maybe wasn't. Not all of it, some of it maybe was, but there was bits that were definitely broken that I think we were guilty of the I've always done it this way thing. Um so I'm going to enjoy where I'm at. But from a business perspective, we want to keep working with more people. Um, we're not in any hurry to grow anymore. We're not back in the days of let's hire more people and make more sales and just grow, grow, grow. No, we want to work with who we've got in the team at the moment. And we want to do it to the best of our abilities, reach as many young people as well uh, as we can, You know, really make the most of this online world now that has presented itself to us. Um, and I want everybody, I want everyone just to be happy. That's the main thing. I want everyone to be happy. I, I love that, Gavin. And, you know, just, you know, athletes need intense periods of recovery before they before they go out and do uh, and do something else. So um, it's, it's really uh, refreshing to hear you say that you're going to take some time. And I think that's so critical, particularly around the mental health conversation. Um, Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always, um, to speak to you. Thanks so much for giving up your time. And uh, I wish you every success with the talk, Big School. I can't wait to hear how it goes. And um, I will definitely be heading over to uh, the head full of everything for teenagers because I've got some teenagers coming up, I think, is the, I think is, the, is the stage. But Gavin, thanks. Thanks for being you. Thanks for everything you do and wish you every success in the future. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. What infectious energy. I really love how open Gavin is. The whole idea of growing up with hopes and dreams is something I think a lot of us can relate to. And sometimes life takes you down a different path. It's not a failure, just an essential part of the journey. And I really love how Gavin's embraced that. If you like this week's episode, then please give it a five-star review. Also, our Twitter handle is SGConnect1. Let us know what you want to hear more of. We'd really love to hear your thoughts. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until next time.